Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Wilshire, Brisbane Business Life. We've got um, episode number 61 here with uh, a long time, or it might be a bit of a listener of the podcast, uh, Press Puri. Press, welcome along to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. How are you going today? Yeah, very, very good. So, Press, um, just a bit of a background information uh, to the listeners here. You sort of, what I sort of mo- know most about you, you, you sort of work in what I consider a fairly freelance type of role over the years, but you're assisting medium and large uh, companies in various sort of engineering projects, change management, uh, culture, that type of thing. Is that a fairly accurate reflection yeah, of what you're doing? Good, good way to sum it up. Um, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, a bit about uh, the origins, where you came from, and that sort of thing. I mean, I've had a bit of a look up. I know that um, uh, Press is, is, I think that name comes from a French background, the actual <laughs> name itself. Uh, the surname, obviously, is, is Indian, I think. Mm. Uh, is that correct? Those. That's correct, Tim. But um, I'd like to keep it a little bit of a mystery, if you don't mind, because okay. I think um, putting a bit of perspective around, um, you know, my background and how yep. my career has turned out and, you know, when we came yep. to meet each other as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, first of all, I'd probably say, you know, thank you for having me on your podcast. Excellent. Um, no you know, worries at all. So um, yeah. whereabouts did you grow up and what was uh, life, early life yeah, like so for you? Early life for me was... Um, I grew up in New Zealand. New um, Zealand. Yeah, so you're born in New Zealand. Born, born in Wellington, actually. Wow. And yes. um, yeah, from you know there, my um, folks decided that we would um, go to Germany for a year. Didn't really have too much of a say in it, but ended up in Germany. And oh, um, Germany. So what part of Germany? In Munich, actually. Yeah. So I travelled down a little bit as a kid, um, and um, I suppose you know, <clears throat> for myself, um, it's interesting I find myself here because. After I was in Germany, um, my parents decided to move to Brisbane, and I've really come to love Brisbane. Yes. I um, did my primary schooling here, and uh, then I ended up doing um, my high schooling here as well. Um, Now, my father, he's an academic, and he worked at um, University of Queensland for quite some time. So I suppose early life for myself and my, um, I've got two sisters, um, a younger one and an older one. So you're the middle person. Yeah, middle child, yep. middle child syndrome going on. Um, but it's, um, you know, early life was, you know, was part of a very um, studious and academic focused family. So, um, you know, I suppose growing up here in Brisbane, I um, spent as much time as I could outdoors. Oh, that was my preference. Um, but the pressure was definitely on in terms of mm. achieving academically. Yep. Um, so, you know, I think um, probably continuing on with my early life, I think um, around about high school, I developed a bit of an interest in asking some of the deeper questions in life and developed a bit of a um, fascination with philosophy. Yes. Um, I think nowadays, as a result of that, um, I definitely enjoy some reading. I definitely enjoy a bit of traveling, but I tend to find that a lot of it just actually happens for the sake of work. Um, but one of my major passions at the moment, Tim, is um, for about the last eight years I've been writing a book. And um, so, so the same book in, in the last eight years? Yeah, the same book. It's okay. been a very large project and it is a general theory on philosophical consciousness. So tell us about <laughs> philosophical consciousness. Well, I mean, I think, um, I suppose, you know, to give the story a little bit of a background. Yes. Um, you know, back when I was in high school, I was asking a fair few questions, as you know, I think you tend to do in your adolescent years. Yes. Um, but the I was always a student who was involved heavily in you know the science, maths, physics kind of subjects. Yep. I kind of found myself there because I didn't know what else to do. Mm. Um, I moved from there to doing uni at QT, Gardens Point, 
And great um, campus. Yeah, great campus. I think it was my first time that I was really integrated well into the city as well. And um, it really can change your perspective when you've grown up in the suburbs and you go and you move into the city. I moved out of home and I started living in um, the valley, funnily enough. Yes, right? yep, yep. <laughs> home of the podcast. And, um, but, you know, I was doing my engineering study at the time as well. So I developed this um, way of looking at things, which is you always have to be able to trace it back to first principles. You know, I think that's what you learn in engineering study, really, that you have to have a good basis for what you're doing. Um, so things were going pretty well. I got uh, my first job with a engineering procurement construction management company, EPCM, um, Bechtel. They're quite big. And, um, you know, from there, I was moved to the next job with Rio Tinto. And then I moved on to this other company called Arrow Energy in the gas industry, um, just to give you a little bit of context around my career. But mm. I had to get lucky, good kind of life going mm. on. And um, then I found myself in a situation where I became incredibly ill. So what sort of, uh, you had, when was this? How long ago was So it? this would have been about um, almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, okay, almost so 10 years about ago. About a decade, yep. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not going to go into the details of what it was, but okay. at one point I was given um, six months to live. And, um, you know... So a terminal diagnosis. Yeah, and, you know, it was... Um, a whole year that I was out of things. Um, I suppose the reason it's so relevant to where I am today and yeah. how I've gotten here is that, you know, these experiences really changed um, the way that I looked at the world, mm. um, how I find uh, a method to survive. And, you know, it really helped me in terms of development of this um, philosophy. And, um, you know, so I think that's really what led me to writing this book. And, um, you know, I think, um, would you like to hear a little bit more about the book? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we're here to talk about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can talk about the engineering work as well, but yeah. I think it all really ties together for myself. Um, yeah. So philosophy, of course, you know, the main thing or the main challenge is that we're all trying to answer that hard question, which is, you know, what's the meaning of life? And yeah. it can be quite um, broad, but I think um, the scientific approach I'm tending to take to it is that I don't like to get the confusion happening between meaning and purpose so instead i am trying to answer this question which is why consciousness and hence you come back to philosophical consciousness this concept so what i've been doing is i've been writing about um consciousness and philosophy from a first principles point of view um i'm trying to write out what i've got in terms of my knowledge and what i've gathered over the years in an empathizable format so i'm actually writing a non-fiction book in the form of a non-fiction novel. And I found that what that's um, done in the past is it's allowed people to empathize with the content. Because you know the difference between when someone tells you something, mm. um, and I sh I'm sure we experience this a lot in terms of education, someone tells you something and they say, now you know this. And there's a big difference between that and actually understanding it and being able to apply it in your day-to-day -day life. Yep. Yeah. So um, Definitely. I, I chose this format and from there, um, you know, I think one thing that really occurred to me in terms of philosophy as well is that it's all about how the reader is able to understand it. So it has to come at the pace that the reader wants. So you're a fan of TED Talks? I mean, I'm, I obviously seen a, a few TED Talks. I'm not sort of, I mean, so many things consume your life that it's, it's something mm. I haven't really got into yep. like a lot of other people, like maybe yourself, but 
<laughs> yeah, I do know some people that are obviously that that are TED talkers, I find TEDx that talkers as well. I like the concept. I yep. think it's a great, concise way to get the information forward. But to really absorb it, I do find that the pace has to be set by the person who's consuming the information. So. I chose a novel because I found the written form is something that you can pick up and take in mm. either one chapter yep. or you can take in five or ten at a time. Mm. Um, the breakdown that I've used in this book is I've actually got 195 chapters at the moment. And hang on, hang on. 100, <laughs> not 195 pages. 195 chapters. 195 yep. chapters. How, how big does that make the book prize? I, I'm trying very hard to limit it, but it is a very large topic to cover. So yeah. I've got it down to around about 800 pages now wow. in paperback. <laughs> which, um, you know, the aim is still to reduce it, but I've had to learn a lot about how to write well as well. So it kind of puts you in this point where you've got to go and say, only keep information mm. in if it's relevant. Mm. Um, the main thing that's relevant in terms of explaining philosophy is the people, mm. their experiences that they're going through, how they change over time, and you know what their desires are, what they're managing to do. Mm. Um, eventually it all comes together. Mm. So um, so I guess with the book, I mean, how, how, how far away do you think you are from getting it uh, to the publisher? Well, I would hope that I can get it done in another couple of years, which would hit me on the real 10-year mark that I've been working on it. Um, but I think um, the, the challenge isn't in putting the content down. The challenge is in making the content understandable mm. and making it entertaining enough mm. that it can actually be consumed. Um, so there's some entertainment value in there as well as some, some um, I guess, your mind? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to hope so. I, okay. I suppose, um, you know, getting back to the concept of what it is, yeah. is... Um, you know, so there's this question, this meaning of life question, and I'm trying to answer it more from a why consciousness. And people usually end up going down one of two parts. One is mm. they go and say, okay, mm. we believe we can answer this question. Yep. Um, the truth is that it's a paradox. It's mm. not a direct, this is what you go and mm. do now. Mm. So there's two parts you can go down. Um, I suppose this depends on people's mm. background. Mm. They can either go and say, I'm going to take a spiritual pathway mm. or I'm going to take a scientific pathway. Yeah. So I suppose you can guess which one I was trying to take <laughs> as an engineer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, um, the way that the question is actually answered then, or the paradox is answered, I should say, is that there's some foundations laid down. Um, one is in terms of what conscious experience is. The next one is in terms of uh, what chaos is and how chaos can relate back to our lives on a daily basis. And the last one is of coexistence. So whilst yeah, okay. these concepts um, you know, seem like they're disconnected, when they're combined together they're in connected. the right yeah. way, um, like I said, it can be understood. Mm. It's not something that um, if we could put it down into a 10-page thesis, then um, mm. that would have, I believe, already been done. Yep. So... Um, I, I, so just on yeah, this, I mean, yeah. I know you're an honours student uh, coming out of QUT, but uh, <laughs> yep. did you ever? I mean, this this to me sounds like it's really a PhD material type <laughs> type uh, analysis. Uh, doing you know putting your own putting your own spin out there. Mm. What, what, have you ever sort of thought about doing a PhD? I I don't believe I have actually um, done enough prior reading, and uh, there's a. Um, conscious decision behind that as well actually <laughs> which is that um, when you're trying to approach such a large topic yeah. and you're trying to set up a new framework the more previous knowledge you bring into it the more difficult it becomes for your readers to be able to grasp it mm. until you end up with something which is hugely academic and you write out a so it's not. It's, it's not aimed to be completely academic. Yeah, is it? and um, the one person who reads it is your supervisor. Yeah, and that's the end of it. You know. Yeah. Um, no, I understood. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I mean, I think in just, terms. This. This is mm. the way it sort of 
my, my mind sort of works when I'm hearing that you know you, how much you've sort of been put into this and what, what you're sort of finding out and what you're sort of bringing to the table. Mm. It, it does to me seem to me it just seems fairly um, much a, you know much of a way of, of you know bringing out some some not I don't know if it's there's obviously research involved as yes. well, uh, but it, it's sort of. It seems to be going along that line a little bit, but then you're sort of steering me and saying, no, it's not. It's yeah. <laughs> Because the um, I think one of the challenges with philosophy and yeah. why it's not as relevant today as it was, you know, 100 years ago yeah. is the applicability. I mean, we live in a science-based world. Mm. So whatever we bring out theoretically from, uh, you know, research into philosophy yep. should be something which can actually help us alter and change yep. our day-to-day -day okay. lives. Um, I think the thing for myself Tim is that you know once I'd laid down these foundations and you know being able to provide this answer of you know how you resolve this paradox what's actually going on is um, there's a significant amount of neuroplastic change the brain can go through and by understanding this information I do believe that the brain actually changes and it allows you to see things differently and it's not just a change in perspective as much as it is a functional change in the way the brain operates um, I often get asked though, all right, Price, that's great, but what's the benefit? And the difficult thing about explaining something which is um, quite different to how we're used to perceiving consciousness is that it's more like saying, okay, you feel a sense of peace. And peace is not a positive or a negative, it's just a state. Um, I think the important thing about getting through this process for myself is that it, you end up with something which is not an arbitrary, airy-fairy kind of, um, or, you know, I feel this way today because I've read this book. It's something which is repeatable. It is something which is testable. But to do that, you need to have a big enough group of your peers who you can actually test this against. So um, I think from a purely scientific point of view, um, what I'm theorizing is that, you know, there is multidimensional space and our consciousness allows us to consume several dimensions of that, but not the whole picture. Um, and this theory kind of helps tie it all together. It provides a framework. Um, still, like you said, the reason I haven't gone down a completely academic pathway here is that, um, you know, you have to bring this back to being something which is relevant. So how do you apply this in your day-to-day -day lives? I think um, there's another set of foundations I put in place then about neutrality, uh, relationships, and benefit, which is creating, you know, a self-made purpose in the world. So yep. these are things that I think we all go through in varying extents, depending how much we like to ask these questions about, you know, what's life about um, in a day-to-day -day, um, and our work lives as well. So um, I think the, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of theory to cover. <laughs> all yeah, in yeah. Hence why you can probably think that, you know, this is why you end up with an 800 page book. Yes. And I'm actually quite proud that it's that small. Um, but there's a, there's a number of challenges here. I think, um, you know, in terms of addressing this, and it does all actually come back to my day-to-day -day work as well. One is, how do you find the time? How do you even fund this? You know, um, if it's such a large exercise and, you know, how do you find the time to even accumulate the knowledge? So I would reach out to, you know, yourself and your listeners as well and say, look, if there's any books that you've read um, that you really have loved in terms of philosophy, if there's any podcasts, any shows, any movies you're seeing, um, my email address is just pras, which is P-R-A-S dot Puri, which is P-U-R-I yep. at gmail.com. Flick me through your suggestions. Yeah. Um, I'd love Sounds to take great. them all in. Um, because I feel like I'm in a very fortunate position to be able to have accumulated this knowledge, had the experiences I've had, 
and now being able to find the time to go and finish this piece of work. Mm. Um, I think the second challenge people come across is, you know, the format of how to get it down. So without the advantage of living in a beautiful city like Brisbane and having the time and having excellent people to support me like yourself, Tim, in managing affairs, which, appreciate that thing. <laughs> which, which I, I need some help with, um, you don't find the time yeah. uh, to do this. And I think the largest challenge which exists, yeah. you know, even if you're able to um, manage those two parts is how do you go against your contemporaries and the knowledge that they have, all the research that's been done and say, hey, I want to propose something which is a little bit new here. Um, without being ripped to pieces. So I was um, traveling, I was in Stockholm once, and they've beautiful got the city. Beautiful city. The, have you been to the Nobel Prize Museum there? No, no. It's I was only there for three days, but went to the Vassa. Oh, museum. the Vassa Museum? Yeah. The, the large the, um, the the boat museum, that yeah. they pull it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if the Vassa is actually under repairs at the moment. Or? Yeah, I'm not sure, but it was, yeah. it was a couple of, two and a half, no, nearly three yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Um, in the Nobel Prize Museum, yep. which is very close by, actually, yeah. um, from my memory, which isn't that great. Well, you'd be right. Yeah. they um, There's a quote which is up on the wall there, and yep. it's by yep. an individual named Louis Agis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. It's A-G-A-S-S-I-Z. And he yeah. says, every great scientific truth goes through three stages. First, people say it conflicts the Bible. Next, they say it Religion, had been discovered yeah. before. And lastly, they say they always believed it. So <laughs> this is something that stuck by me because it really yeah. goes and says, if you are going to propose something new, yep. then how far down this rabbit hole do you have to mm. fall? How much research do you need to do? Mm. How are you going to be able to bring it back together? Mm. But the way that I kind of see it, Tim, is that if through this it gets to create something which, you know, um, as one person once said to me, they go and said, this could redirect the course of humanity well I'd be happy enough to just go and say it helped one or two people yeah. I think that makes the whole journey worthwhile for Definitely. myself um, this really does tie back a lot into uh, my day to day work as well mm. which as you know is around engineering mm. and consulting and business yep. um, and helping there so um, I suppose what's kind of happened is you know for myself I've benefited a lot from having this mindset which I've developed I've benefited a lot from being so able to pre 10 yep. years ago was the mindset a lot different oh I think it was significantly different um, you know I've probably have been told that I was quite a different person um, neuroplasticity is a big part of yep. neurology which I think in probably the last 20 or 30 years has become mainstream science um, as opposed to other areas which people are still working on. And I think, you know, the ability of a person's body to recover, um, to change, um, can actually lead to fundamental changes in who they are as a person. So, I mean, I think my mindset, Tim, was I was always asking the questions, but I didn't have a lot of answers. And yeah, um, okay. the struggle there can be, how do you direct yourself? You know, what do you choose as a career? And we get thrown into, like, I imagine some of you guests have said, you get out of high school, for a lot of us, you go straight to uni, you don't know what you're meant to be doing. And the next thing you find is you're in a job. So I found that getting experience early on was actually quite important. Um, I think it's quite important to find your niche as well. Um, but in terms of the engineering consulting work, I suppose you end up picking up skills from a lot of different places. Mm. Just, yeah. So I guess let's talk about the workplaces mm. a little bit that you've sort of worked at. Not We don't have to sort of go into too much detail here if you don't want to, but. Mm. Um, you've worked for, as you said, in the earlier piece, Rio Tinto, mm. um, Accenture, mm. uh, uh, Arrow Energy, a lot of mining uh, mm. 
industry companies, and you've ha- you've had good little you know two or three year stints, or even one or two or three year stints, learning about how these organisations work, yeah. and then using using your own experiences to go in and improve these organisations and get the projects done in in the in the right sort of manner when it comes to to your um, to your you know special set of skills. Mm. Um, Tell us a couple of lessons that you've learnt sort of working with some of these companies. Absolutely, Tim. I mean, Just I think for myself, the it all comes together yep. in terms of my work as well. Yes. So the primary thing, and I think there'd be a lot of um, organisational leaders who would say this to you as well, is organisational culture makes the biggest difference. Yeah. If you've got um, people who are willing and want to work and share your common goal, then you're going to be able to get anything done. That's really about providing them with purpose. And as we're talking, the philosophy is actually mm. a lot about purpose. Um, this so sec- purpose and culture are fairly connected? Yeah, or very much mm. so because if you wake up in the morning and you feel like going to work, that's great. But if you feel like going to work and you feel like you're achieving something, you're going to want to keep coming back. Um, and I think the um, purpose component and the cultural component of an organisation should always be number one because with the right people, you can get things to happen. So when you enter large organisations and they've got a variety of things going on, there's silos within there, and you're trying to get your team to achieve something or achieve something as an individual, you really need to know where you're headed, or at least that's my approach. Um, I think my second learning is that, you know, whilst having a technical background and being able to get into that nth level of detail, and my specialty is in cost and planning, um, has been great. Project management itself requires yourself to gain a variety of technology skills. And then you really end up falling a little bit into that HR and building the team kind of space. Um, I believe the best way to bring it all together is to really go and say, what are you trying to achieve here? So whether it's a large mining project um, or an organizational transformation, I think it all really comes back to is what are you trying to achieve? What are the people trying to achieve as individuals? What are the people trying to achieve as group? And how can you bring that all together to make it succeed? Mm-hmm. Um, now, you're the expert in numbers, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. The, 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 is there a sort of difficulty at all with some of these large organisations as far as the direction that they want to take their their companies? I mean, because you've got a lot of. I mean, what what you sort of what I, what I tend to see in some of these organisations is there's you know a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Mm, I mean, I think. I'd have to agree with you that it's about then what can you get your own team to achieve as opposed to the organisation yeah, role. Yeah, okay. So and if your goals are aligned. Team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but to keep it not so fluffy, actually, yep. I was um, listening to um, one of your previous episodes, um, just actually number 58. Great so, episode. Uh, was it Peter Lucas? Peter Lucas. Um, yeah. And he was talking about insolvency and yep. some of the issues which um, smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses can run into. Yeah. Right? Um, great episode. I... Um, recommend everyone has a listen to that actually and um, it really spoke to me because I've seen similar things happening in small businesses medium businesses where direction of the organization what the people want to achieve what they're trying to do how the numbers add up at the end of the day small changes can make a huge difference to the bottom line of the business so the role that I have to play within an organization whether it's small or it's large is utilizing what they have from a technical background, where their IP is, where their skills are, and trying to transform that with more efficiency, 
um, in terms of you know getting the planning right, getting the cost sections of those right, making it sustainable, which is a huge part, not just from an environmental point of view because I'm working in mining, but making the business sustainable and then actually providing them with a solution. After one or yep. two years, though, I hope my job is done, and Excellent. I hand back to the business owners, or, and, and look for yeah, the next, uh, and look for the next gig, next so challenge. Yeah, it's really the transformation space that gets mm. me excited. Excellent. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, um, I mean, all the, all the things that you've sort of uh, invested in in your life. What has been, you think, the best investment for? I guess the the least amount of financial sort of outgoing that's been the, the most beneficial to you? I mean, it might sound a bit cliche, but I think education is probably yep. the best investment for the least amount of going. Um, the reason I say that, Tim, is that um, I can't recall the person now, but they said education has never been as expensive or as affordable as it is today. So if you want to go out there and seek, you absolutely can. Um, or if you want to go to a you know, top 10 uni in the world, um, you know, it's like taking out a second or a third mortgage. I suppose <laughs> a lot of people, yeah. um, but I suppose the the thing is that if you want to achieve within your career or within your own life, gaining information, being able to empathise with it, can really save you a ton of time and allows you to go and say, well, I don't have to experience each and every little thing um, before I can find the niche that I belong in and where I can serve my greatest purpose. Um, I understand that not everyone sees it that way. But, um, you know, that education or that enjoyment for them can come from their hobbies. It can come from um, being out in nature, which I certainly love. And you're a nature lover yourself. Yep. Yep. So um, one of my, um, I suppose, my guilty pleasures is that when I am traveling, if I'm near the mountains, I love to go snowboarding. I find it so freeing and so enjoyable. Mm. And, you know, after that, I'll, of course, go and do some engineering consulting mm. work for four hours and I'll go and do some... Um, writing for two hours if I get a chance to get through it that day and um, that's that's mm. a very ideal day you know <laughs> of course friends family yep. relationships mm. they're all very important to be able to integrate into this mm. all and um, in terms of an investment I think Tim yeah look definitely making yourself a better person more useful to the mm. world is how I see it um, but there's nothing wrong with enjoying it either yeah, in, yeah. interesting we've had, I've had one person say gym membership was their best investment <laughs> for the cheapest price I'd say anyway. yeah. but you know that's you know health's important as well absolutely um, now you've, you're fairly well travelled um, so whereabouts I, I guess whereabouts in the world is I guess your favourite destination or destinations to travel and, and where, where you sort of look you know where you look forward to going back to oh absolutely um i mean tim i think one of the places which represents a fusion of um what i enjoy in terms of work work culture and um being in the outdoors and generally being surrounded by people who say look living your own life is great but what are you going to do beyond that is switzerland um i spent a fair bit of time there um it's also quite central in terms of europe so it's a great base to travel from um one of my more enjoyable um, destinations. Um, so, how, so how old were you when the first time you went to Switzerland? Oh, must have only been about five years ago. So yeah, I think... So um, fairly new to the place. Yeah, fairly new yeah, to the place. Yeah. Um, but I've made quite a few trips, I think. And yes. the thing is, there is opportunity there to work with international organisations, which have this... Some big need, companies there yeah, as well, big businesses. Yeah, big businesses. I mean, from an ethics point of view, I would say like everywhere has their issues. But from a general consensus of what individuals are trying to achieve, because a lot of the rudimentary things like transport, 
um, you know, access to common things mm. that people need are taken care of. You can say, hey, in the morning, I'm going to get up, I'm going to catch a train right. and get to work. That's a certainty, mm. which allows you a lot more time to go mm. and say, what am I going to do with myself for the rest of the day? Mm. Poor analogy, but I think yeah. you understand where I'm coming from. So when you go there, do you sort of like to sort of spend most of your time out sort of in the in the mountainous areas or do you, do you, still, do you like to still spend time in Zurich? Well, I think transport-wise... Um, it's quite flexible. So yep. you can get out to the mountains in less than an hour on the train, which is, you know, time I can spend writing. Um, and I really enjoy that. But I think Zurich is, um, Zurich's a costly city to be in. It is, and it's expensive. Yeah. It's an interesting city to be in. You actually run into a lot of Australians in Zurich as well. Um, so sometimes when I get a little bit homesick, I'll return there and I'll go to an Australian coffee shop and have a chat and have a bit of yarn with a few people. And then I'm out to the mountains again. Because I think that's where the real joy is for mm. myself. Um, I love walking. Favourite mountainous or picturesque place in Switzerland? Well, I mean, I suppose if you're going to go to Zermatt, you're going to see the Matterhorn. Um, and yep. it's very picturesque. But I think some of the other um, ranges, like I've been to this small Italian town a few times called Pontresina, um, which is you know still located in Switzerland, and it's very memorable to myself. Uh, mm. Shalarina, which is close by. Um, and, you know... There's some of the places I learned to snowboard. Um, mm. Larks, uh, Davos. You've been to Interlaken? Oh, yeah, I've been to Interlaken. Um, mm. Beautiful, really great spot to connect yourself out to other places. Um, speaking of technology, actually, yeah. I follow one of the hotels there and they've got a robotic bartender um, in their hotel now. <laughs> That's the So that, is that, whereabouts is that? Um, it's in Interlaken. Um, oh, in Interlaken? Yeah, I stayed in wow. this hotel. Um, you know Lord Byron, the poet? I've heard or, that. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So he stayed here once and they've kept that going and now they've got a robotic bartender. Don't mm. ask me how it all mm. joins together, but um, yeah. yeah, they. they so also, that's going. one of your favourite places, Switzerland. Mm. Um, robotics. So, robotics is a bit of an interest of yours, isn't it? Oh, it, look, I think it used to be in early in my life in high school. I was um, in a robotics competition and I was teamed up with a bunch of great peers, students, mm. and they've all done really well in their lives, as far as I know. And um, no, we were part of a robotics competition. I think it's still going on. It's called RoboCop. So RoboCop. RoboCop. Oh, sorry, RoboCup. Robo- yeah. RoboCop would be really cool, but um, <laughs> quite destructive. Yeah. No, the idea was they said we're going to build autonomous robots, which are going to be able to beat the um, World Cup team by 2050. Yep. So that was the aim. So you know they've got a few years up their sleeve, but um, I mm. think there's a lot of progress to still go there. Mm. And I was part of this team mm. and. We went over to Japan yep. to represent our school. And, um, so you said you've been to Tokyo before? I haven't been to Tokyo, but I've been to Fukuoka. Okay. It's quite small. That's where the competition was, and we actually managed to place first in the world. Wow, excellent. So, uh, you know, and as a high school student, you're like, is this even real life? Yep. And how do you use that to then go and say, what's your next challenge going to mm. be? Um, but I'd love to travel more to Japan. Yeah. Um, I'd also love to go to Canada. Yeah, uh, I've never to... been to Canada. That's definitely on most bucket lists if they haven't been yeah. there. And you haven't been there either, have you? I haven't either. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, it's definitely got to get there in the next few mm. years. I'd love to get there. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so any other sort of so traveling? That's probably a bit about that. But yeah. uh, if there's any other places that stick out, just obviously speak up and and, and tell us. But uh, um, obviously, yeah. So Canada definitely. Yeah. Um, so robotics was probably more of a hobby back when you were a bit younger. What, what do you sort of uh, do? You have sort of hobbies or sports that you like to get involved in in the in more recent times? Or oh, I mean, like I, much like your other friend who said the gym membership was quite a good investment. Yeah, <laughs> um, I live close to the river, so I really enjoy walking along the river. I find that really helps. Um, yeah, actually, a funny thing, Tim, meditation is something I've taken up recently, 
And I think I was really cautious about it in the past because I thought, oh, you know, that's just sitting around and doing nothing. But um, <laughs> it doesn't really classify as a sport. Um, but I would say it's something I would recommend to people if they're struggling a little bit in terms of managing their time. How often do you find yourself, Tim, um, last thing you do before you go to bed is checking your phone? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> guilty, right? Well, guilty checking it all bloody day, but anyway. I mean, you respond to my emails always really quite quickly, which I appreciate. <laughs> I, yeah. I do... I, I found myself in this habit where I thought what I'm probably doing for the last half an hour, 15 minutes of my day is on, I'm on my phone. And I just found it didn't centre me in the point where I'm going and saying, my next day is about what I'm trying to achieve, which is not spending time on my phone again. So maybe the last thing I should do before I go to bed is... Mm. I'm very fortunate to be able to do this, but I go and sit by the river, I take that in, and I understand what I'm going to do the next day rather than looking at my phone. Um, Beautiful. I like that. Yeah. Give it a go. You know, see yeah, how you go. I love um, that. Um, Brisbane's such a great place to, mm. to live as, you, as as the reason you're still living here from younger days. Yep. It's, it's um, And you always sort of... I mean, what is it about Brisbane that's, uh, I guess, that you just love so much that you, you know, that this is the place to live predominantly for you? I know you've got other family members that probably are here as well, mm. um, but uh, tell us about that. I think, Tim, the city has an appeal that it's, it doesn't have that higher pace, um, which allows you to actually have some time for yourself. When I was living in Sydney, I would spend. An so hour. you have lived in Sydney? Yeah, I've lived in Sydney. I've lived in. How, how long for? Yeah. Well, it's probably about. How long did I survive? Probably about six months before, okay. <laughs> before I decided I, I needed to pull the pin on that. Yeah. I moved from there to um, regional New South Wales, which was Armidale. Yep. And I actually spent, I think, a, probably a good nine months there, yep. which was also a little bit of a change. Um, but if I had to place Brisbane somewhere, I'd say that it's between the two in terms mm. of um, its sophistication. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot you can do now. Um, mm. Big Sound Festival is just on. Yeah, I was there. Last weekend? Yep. yep. Enjoyed? Yeah, loved it. It's oh, great. It's only probably not a... I mean, previous year went to all three days, actually, yep. but uh, this time, uh, sort of one and a half days I was there mm. this time around, but got to see Tones and I, which was good. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, there's a new place opening up all the time here in Brisbane, but yep. it's not even that much of the cultural component, I think, that's appealing mm. to myself because you can always go out and travel. Yep. But as a city where I felt like when I was out of it, I want to come back here. Yeah. That was my first sense so that think, I ever uh, had. There's a thinking if I'm going to sort of move away that, it, yep. that I'm going to miss the, you know, you'd miss the place. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the new development of Howard Smith Wars that everyone seems to be uh, sort of congregating to at the moment? Have you been there yourself? Uh, a few times already. A few times? Yeah. I love the atmosphere. i got to say. It's, it's, they've done a great job yeah. with it. You know, being by the river once again, um, you know, being able to take in the sunshine, looking over the bridge. I mean, we've got a beautiful day today. Yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, I think the city's really developed in such a sense that, you know, if you enjoy the outdoors, if you want to be able to still get relatively affordable housing um, and you want to set up your own life, it's an excellent place to be. Um, yeah, and I mean, after having travelled so much as well, I think I made a fairly conscious choice to remain here. Probably five years ago, I couldn't say that to you, Tim. I was mm. thinking, oh, you know, maybe I should go and live in Switzerland or maybe I should go and live somewhere else. But when you look at the balance that the city is mm. able to provide and the opportunities, it's really up to the individual to just go and say, what do I want to do? Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah. So we just talked about big sound. Mm. Um, what sort of music interests you? Do you have sort of any sort of genres <laughs> that you sort of uh, like to listen to or artists in particular? You're probably going to laugh at this, Tim. No, I'm not going to laugh at all. We don't judge. I spend a lot of my time at work still. Yeah. Um, you know, as we all do, and I need to be able to focus in on my planning stuff there. Yep. So 
um, the less distractions, the better. Yep. And um, I tend to stick to classical music, actually. Yep, that's fine. Um, I did a little bit of classical music when I was in high school, and at that time I'd poo-poo it, and I'd be like, oh, look, I used to enjoy metal, I used to enjoy rock, I used to enjoy, um, you know, even listening to a little bit of hip-hop and R&B at that stage. And, you know, whilst I think with Spotify and Apple Music and all these other kind of services, you can get access to this. But, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a big person who has to see the value in things, right? I think some of the value in that classical music, it, is, it has survived, right? But, you know, look, you won't find me listening to it on a Friday night. But no. <laughs> the, the rest of the time, that. And I really enjoy movie soundtracks. Okay. I don't know. There's this that's, is familiar- that's interesting. I like that. That's, <laughs> there's um... a familiarity that you kind of can see the um, story in your head. Um, you know, I can recommend a few if anyone wants. They can always look me in. Give me a couple. <laughs> I love the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, you get that epic journey which is yep. going on. Um, sometimes it's a little bit distracting. Mm. you got those classical elements and there's a few more modern things mm. in there. So, what yeah. about, Do you watch many movies as well or not? I haven't as of late. Um, you know, I think movies probably fall into the same category. Uh, it's, it's quite strange saying you're working on a large project which is all about philosophy and all about writing a book, yet you don't find the time yourself to do your own research. But um, the model that I'm taking is I hope at the end of this year, starting around about November, I will have finished off an editing draft and then I really want to try to consume as much as I can in a short possible time. So the next two to six months, I want to read, watch as many movies, do whatever I can. So I have enough relevant present knowledge. I listen to um, a few podcasts around neurology. Um, some of the stuff is probably too scientific for myself to get my head around, but you okay. can't be an expert in everything. You can't. Um, and neither should you try to be, I think, in some cases, um, when you're forming a new framework. So. Um, movies wise I haven't seen anything all that recently but mm. please you know if you've got recommendations you've got to send them I don't, I don't really get to the movies as, uh, that yeah. often I mean I'm, I'm probably more inclined to sort of see It 2 but uh, I saw the first one but that, I know It 2 has just come out and people, oh, okay. people are banging on about that but it's, uh, how got, terrifying it is yeah well, how, it's it's um, you know you, you've got to have a, a like for scary movies to an extent that, like you've got to be able to like the Halloweens and, and you do I, I do enjoy that a bit, yeah. I what, mean, what does it what does it give you? Does it give you this excitement? Or? Um, it's just a it's it's a maybe it's just a, a different way of getting an adrenaline rush. Maybe oh. I think it's uh, you know it, it, some yeah I, I just yeah I think it's not enough. It's my favourite type of movie, um, mm. the scary movies, but it just gives you a bit of. Um, you know, a bit of you know, life. You got to live life a little bit edge on the edge a little bit sometimes. So life isn't terrifying enough, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Probably not, but in reality, it is. Um, so you're obviously. Uh, I mean, you're obviously fairly good as far as technology and, and technology minded. You sort of um, uh, you've grown up in the era, you know, of uh, Generation Y, I guess, where you know technology's big, you know. Uh, everyone's got, as I said, we're talking about the iPhone and, sorry, you know, smartphones and that yep. sort of thing at the moment. Um, what, what do you do? You, do you have sort of any predictions yourself as to where uh, the next big technology wave is? What that's going to be, or do you? How do you sort of view technology? Well, I mean, I suppose I can talk about it in terms of my own workplace. A little bit, yeah. Um, yeah. So the major transition in terms of the systems that mm. we've used. I mean, this is the whole thing. Great processes. Uh, what allows you to configure systems properly. And then those systems can become quite useful and create efficiency within the business. You would have seen the same thing with Zero, right? Yep. But the concept's been around for a long time. It's all about doing it well. And um, so 
the transition from in-house hosting to the cloud has been a big change for the industry. Um, being able to move from, you know, a once-off, you know, three and a half thousand dollar license to now being able to get a fully fledged um, enterprise resource planning system like Microsoft Dynamics for um, like thirty bucks a month, it's quite transform. That's not actually the real cost there, Tim. By the way, yeah. I hope none of your listeners take that on um, because the costs are in the implementation of these systems and getting them right. But then yep. the actual ongoing costs of maintaining something like that are significantly lower. So it allows small, medium businesses to get into that large business capability from a technology point of view because the price is still now a fraction of what it used to be. And that's been a huge change. Um, I suppose moving on from the cloud and what the next step is, there's a lot of buzzwords out there in the industry. Um, People love talking about AI and machine learning and whatnot. Um, I think some of them have real credentials. Machine learning definitely does. AI, I still think, is probably a little bit of a buzzword. Um, now, I might we sort of grew up at school thinking, you know, AOI was sort of, you know, knew, you know what the theory Skynet. was and, and all of that sort of stuff. And here we are in, in nearly 2020. Yeah, and no flying cars. No, no flying no. cars, really. <laughs> no, no um, not enough legislation to even get automated cars on the road by mm. the looks of it. I think, um, Tim, yeah. the difficulty and might not be the most popular opinion and I, I'm not that well read about this topic but I think the difficulty in AI is in being able to understand how humans work versus how machines would work yep. and there's people have done substantial amount of research in here but one of the key findings that I've had is that our brains are highly inhibitive um, machines if I'm able to say that I mean there's something that's stopping us right now from doing a number of things like knocking a microphone over or you know um when someone annoys us, we don't always slap them in the face, right? So what our brains are telling us most of the time is what not to do as opposed to what to do. And the level of complexity we have... That's, a good, that's an interesting... Uh, you know, I don't really heard that, but that's that's dead right. Yeah, so, I mean, this is from, of course, neurologists who yeah, taught me this yeah. as opposed to my own knowledge. But dead I suppose right. they, the way that they look at it as well is they go and say, okay, and the complexity in our brains is huge. You know, you can have... Um, an individual neuron, which can have up to 50 connections, 50 synapses, mm. and then they've got multiple methods of communicating through chemicals and through um, electric connections as well, I should say. Um, so to keep it at a very high level. So what we're actually doing within our brains versus what we're able to do in machines is we're able to do a lot more computations which tell us what's wrong as opposed to what's right. Whereas, um, you know, I suppose, um, computers and binary-based systems are all about saying, you know, we're trying to get to the correct answer and the correct answer only and doing that in a really reliable way. So I think the big leap will come um, in AI when quantum computing becomes a reality, which allows us to have the processing power to go and say, I can run 99 calculations which told me something's wrong, which means that this is the next most likely probability as opposed to having to go through with other methods. Um, Machine learning does that a bit with the amount of computing power it has available Mm. to itself, but... Um, for a practical, real-world application of AI um, and what it will actually mean to us, um, I actually feel like a big component of it is then going to be able to say, okay, well, if you can create something which is at least able to imitate Mm. a conscious being, then what purpose does the conscious being have Mm. any longer? Okay. Um, um, interesting. So, we've, uh, is anybody I guess that stood out to you over the course of your, you know, life, more professional life? I guess that's been a mentor or a hero to you that you sort of looked up to and 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 sort of got something from. Tim, I think it'd be highly arrogant and 
incorrect for me to say that there haven't been a significant number of people who have done that for myself. I remember some Good. of my early bosses. I won't name names there. No, it's okay. Client confidentiality, but um, um, I remember some of my early bosses really helped me in setting direction. Some of them set great examples of what it's like to demonstrate loyalty to an organization and stick with it and go through the hard times. Others um, showed me what it's like to actually be a fairly hard boss and you know, the kind of people who would take some pleasure, I think, in making some of their employees mm. cry. And the beautiful thing of having been in my career for like just 15 years now, I suppose, is that you're able to see where people end up and what their choices mean in terms of their longevity within organizations, how they go and finding the next job. They've been through a fair few crises, GFC, you know, mining crash twice now, I think. And um, it's amazing how you see people who look at the situation and say, oh, I can take a good advantage of this now, get myself in the good situation. And it's the same reason there's a downfall and downturn. Yep. Which is, um, but there's been a great number of influences. Um, in more recent times, I worked for a family organization, um, small family business. And by small, I should probably say they were still trading around the $30 million mark by the time I left. And I okay. came in at around about half of that. Yep. Um, the transformation which had to occur within that business and with those individuals was significant. And you learn a lot about, you know, how conservative people can be, how technology affects them. Um, so there's a learning experience everywhere. Mm. Um, I won't name specific yeah, mentors. Okay. Like what, is there any sort of well-known people that you sort of looked up to, that famous people? I mean, I think, uh, cliche again, but Einstein's always been okay. a great um, inspiration for me. Um, one of the recent things that, you know, of course, gravitational waves has been a big, discovery of his or sorry to discover theory of his which we finally managed to prove um the other one was um you know i think it was this year that they had the first photo of a black hole right okay and um you know it's done with imaging equipment which is i believe a uh, array of radio telescopes um I, I i love actually one of my things that i love is space exploration and the science behind it but you know there's people who have got a wealth of knowledge here so i won't try to um go over theirs but I think one of the amazing things from a philosophical point of view for me, um, Tim, was for the longest time we've believed black holes exist. Mm. And we've known this. And we are able to theoretically say they do exist. But it's amazing the transformation that occurred when people saw that they can look at a photo of one. Well, So, yeah. you know, it's this transition between saying just because <coughs> you can't see something doesn't mean mm. it's not there. If you have all the theory behind it, it may as well exist. Right? Mm. Yeah. <coughs> That's quite, quite interesting. Um, what do you, you know, I, I always think that you, you know, there's a bit of philanthropy there, you know, in what the way you sort of look at the world. But um, is there any particular, I guess, charities that are, you know, close to your heart that you like to support uh, more than others? Absolutely. You had a golf day recently, didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. And you were supporting... Um, four different charities. Four different charities. One of them was MS as well. Correct. MS Queensland, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, look, I think um, for myself personally having seen a lot of things um you know especially within the mining industry is yeah i i think you know mental health yeah. and um focusing on depression and anxiety for individuals what their work life does to them yeah. um, getting the balance right in terms of how they feel rewarded both financially um both in terms of the quality <coughs> of life that they have especially when people are working away on site um, for long periods of time mm. so i'm passionate about that because you know i've seen um some people who have um, taken their lives in the past in terms of how much work has imbalanced them and just you know i think are you okay day is coming up or 
I can't remember the exact date, but um, I'm starting to see a fair. I think earlier this week was um, World Suicide Prevention yep. Prevention Day. I think yeah. it was earlier this week. Um, <coughs> former, yeah, former Richmond coach. Uh, um, yeah, I think he uh, had a one a one vehicle uh, car accident um, this week or earlier yes. this week, which was yes. quite sad. Um, did suffer from you know mm. some problems uh, with that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, but that's that's obviously important, and I think it's we, we're seeing society is definitely seeing a lot more of uh, recognition for mental health. Mm. Um, I have clients that just that's all they do is dabble in this space. As far as oh, predominantly, um, they've actually got a podcast that uh, that it's called Career and Mental uh, Mental Health Conversations. Yep. Um, they do a podcast every week. Uh, it was actually Patrick Page. Actually, just got a message from him mm. um, who basically told me how to set up a podcast so oh, is that right so uh patrick page uh, hopefully we'll probably get on get him <coughs> on my podcast again soon um but yeah so um excellent that uh, and there's obviously you know charities like uh, beyond blue mm. as well um, um black dog is actually one that I've yeah been black supporting. dog yes um, definitely that's an, yeah. another one that uh well, yeah that, mm. that's great um what i what i sort of seen with you i think you speak very well press um have you, do you have any sort of uh, what are your experiences that you've had in public speaking? Oh, I mean, Tim, I think <laughs> honesty, <laughs> honesty is a big thing yeah. um, for me. Um, having good ethics is a big thing for me, and um, I like to speak my own truth. I like to speak um, what I know, which is as well. which is what people want to hear. Yeah, what I'm passionate about. Um, I'm a terrible liar. I I, I just cannot deceive people in terms of uh, I'd rather give them the truth in a nice way than trying to lead them incorrectly so I haven't done a lot of public speaking um, I've had to run organizations and manage teams which means you're doing it on an informal basis quite often but yeah I mean look I it's something I enjoy but I suppose I'm there for the audience it's not the other way around I'm not I'm not there to go and preach what I believe in it's more like can I benefit someone else Mm. And um, I think that kind of falls a lot into my work as well. That's why I enjoy these transformation gigs because it's mm. very much a saying, you know, someone else has spent their life um, passionately pursuing something and they've gone through a couple of um, hard times or they've had a couple of experiences with yep. um, management consultants yep. and they found themselves saying, oh, you know, bloody oath, can we just get someone who actually wants to go and do the job mm. and get it done without trying to give us all the fluff? Yep. Um, so that's kind of turned out to be my niche and what I enjoy. And mm. my reward is it gives me back my time mm. to spend my time on the things I enjoy. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I guess um, <clears throat> one of the things I probably want to finish up with, unless there's other things that you wanted to, to share it as well, but uh, obviously the book obviously is um, you hopefully you, you will reach a goal in the not-too-distant future. You will I get that so. completed. Yep. Uh, which is going to be interesting. I'd certainly like to to read, uh, whether I read the whole book, but certainly read. Um, you could yeah. be part of the um, yeah. peer review group at the start. Okay, well, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if yeah. you're going to have the time to do that, give me your perspective yeah. before it gets published. Exactly. Um, well, quite happy to, to yeah. do that. I, I don't read as many books as I should, mm -hmm. um, but I do like, I mean, obviously I like to read, um, you know, the non-fiction stuff uh, a lot of the time as, you know, mm. um, Fiction, yeah, I always have an interest in you know whether it's some sort someone's biography, mm. whether it's some you know whether it's a book from Mark Manson or so, I don't you know mm. uh, all these different sort of books that come out. Uh, Tim Ferriss, huge, sorry, sorry, I was going to say self help is a huge genre genre at the yeah. moment. Yeah, 
Uh, Tim Ferriss, yep. I like the way he sort of does things yep. uh, with his book, books in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite, have you heard of the Four Hour Work Week? Have you? I'm sure I you. have. But <laughs> for your listeners, could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah. So t- yeah. Okay. Um, Tim Ferriss uh, is is very. He's become over the last eight or nine years very well known worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got his podcast is one of the most listened to podcasts out there. I think I don't quite listen to it that much anymore, but. I do like his uh, books that he's re- that he's written. That are, I guess you could say, his philosophies on on work, work mm-hmm. environment. Um, that you you know you, you outsource everything, all this sort of stuff. Four hour work week um, is, is a good book to. And then he's got the four hour body and the four hour. So he's got a couple of different four hour books. Mm-hmm. Four hour chef, I think. Uh, but also his um, tribe of mentors. So what he's done is he he's got uh, a list of. Um, fairly well-known people mm-hmm. in at least a third of the instances. Like if you have a look at his contents list of um, people that he's spoken to in Tribe of Mentors or mm-hmm. Tools of Titans is the other one. They're very similar in the way those two books are, are put together. Yes. And they're really thick, um, you know, 600 pages maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's like a third of the people you just know. You know, it's a famous actor, yep. it's a sports professional it's you know somebody that he's had in his little studio just like a, a studio uh, and he's obviously got a story and he's t- he got five or six takeaways from each person and just whacked them into a few pages and yeah. that's how he sort of done his book so Tim Ferriss quite interesting um, but where I was sort of going was um, after the book yeah. um, I guess what's what, what's the future look like for for uh, press Puri what what do you think can you see over what's what's beyond the book I think Tim it's a question I ask myself quite often. The major okay, aim is, okay. is to get it done and see if I can get it published. And, you know, it's interesting we're talking about these authors who have been quite successful because they've had to pick a genre and go and cater towards that audience. So I want to keep myself quite pure to my content and do this individually, but I don't exactly want to go down the self-publishing point of view. I just don't think you get the reach um, that, you know, someone who's completely unknown um, would like to get. Um, so, you know, if there was an opportunity for myself to continue to help others in the capacity that I have, um, I would love to do that. Um, whether it could turn into a full-time thing, I don't know yet. But I think right now, if I put a significant amount of effort into what I'm doing, I try to do it right. And once again, I come back to, you've given me a few recommendations there straight away. Um, so the topic I'm trying to cover off, of course, is you know, a general theory of philosophical consciousness. Yeah. That's the name of the book as well. Um, I've got an Instagram page running, which is just called the general general theory of philosophy. Um, That's an Instagram page. Yeah, general. I haven't used it for quite some time, but you know, if there's a few more people on there having a look, I'll definitely um, post up something once every couple of weeks. And I think the thing for me, Tim, is that I would love to continue down this pathway I'm going down right now, um, keep myself settled in Brisbane, um, continue traveling and of course um, continue on with my consulting work um, what I would um, I suppose perceive as a real future goal for myself is being able to make a little bit more of a, a more significant difference um, to the world um, a more significant difference through the things that I do understand and sorry if I'm repeating myself here but 
I found in business and in my professional business and in my writing as well that when people identify things which they're passionate about, they can live very purposeful, happy day-to-day lives. Sometimes they're completely unaware that this is going on once they've headed down the path. Mm. So having seen a lot of things, I'd like to guide the world in that direction if I have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. No, I I think don't never sell yourself short press. I think, um, you know, during your time in the workplace and during, you know, what you'll end up doing here with this book is you will be affecting, you know, you've affected a significant amount of people in the workplace from lots of different organisations. You've, uh, in probably in most cases, in every, you know, not every case is different, but a lot of cases you help people. You've helped people, helped organisations improve their processes. You know, you've re-engineered some stuff, I'm sure. Uh, yes. You've done, th- you know, change management, mm. um, you know, mining industry projects uh, and getting those those uh, those companies into a direction. As you said, you, you can look, you should look back on your work and say, okay, I helped that company for two years or whatever it was mm. and look, and I know that I've affected these many people and I've improved all these processes. I've achieved what I set out to achieve there what's the you know there's always another challenge that i'm going to be able to frost my you know unique set of skills into yeah thank you tim that's um excellent advice from yourself actually even an excellent reflection i really appreciate that um i think for myself you know giving to the community like you said um is and looking for that next challenge and um i suppose the reason i continue with my philosophy work is it's the biggest system of all you know to go and try to provide an answer to (laughs) Excellent. So uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's it's been uh, a little time coming, but uh, thanks for listening to to the episodes of the podcast as well. And uh, I think it's been quite good. And I'd like to share this round whoever you want. Thank you very uh, much, as Jim. well. Share that to all the people that you know and uh, get it out there. I certainly will try my best as well to 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 see uh, to get some people listening to this as well. But uh, it was very very interesting chat with you today, Praz. Um, appreciate you coming in very early on Thursday uh, the 12th of September 2019 I didn't, I didn't say the date at the start I usually do but uh, that's that's where we e- are today. Episode 61 as well Tim and congratulations yep. on continuing with this for so long. Um, thank you very much for having me on the show and um, once again my email address is pras which is P-R-A-S dot puri which is P-U-R-I at gmail.com please send me through any recommendations you have and I've gotten a few good ones from you already today. Uh, thank you very, very much, much. Cheers.